The Movements is a leftist history and politics podcast. Support the show at patreon.com slash movementspod. And now, the teaser for Guatemala and Cuba Part 3, Patria o Muerte. In the early morning hours of November 13, 1960, rebel soldiers occupied key positions throughout Guatemala. They were led by junior officers who commanded nearly one-third of the army. They hoped to spark a popular uprising to oust President Miguel Idigras Fuentes and pave the way for free elections. Fuentes had spent the past several months warning of an imminent communist invasion by Cuba. He accused the rebel officers of taking orders from Fidel Castro and receiving support from communist agents. There were indeed Cubans in Guatemala. Hundreds had infiltrated the country over the past several months. A total of 1,500 Cubans would eventually arrive at secret military training camps. These Cubans were not communists, however, nor were they taking orders from Fidel Castro. These were CIA training camps run by agency contractors. The instructors were mostly American, but some were from Eastern Europe. What they had in common was ideology and a professional skill set. They were anti-communist special operators, and they were very good at killing communists. But there was no communist threat in Guatemala. The rebel officers were diverse in ideology. They shared a sense of national pride and frustration at the policies of President Fuentes, they regarded the presence of foreign military camps as an insult and a threat to national sovereignty. Some rebel leaders wanted to coordinate the rebellion with labor and student organizations. Once they realized the government was closing in on the plot, however, they moved forward and hoped for the best. The rebel officers no doubt remembered the events of 1944. During that summer, mass protests ousted the dictator Jorge Ubico, Demonstrators continued to mobilize against his successor, who tried to uphold the dictatorship. After months of mass mobilization against the regime, young military officers joined the struggle and toppled the dictatorship in October of 1944. It was the end of Guatemala's Banana Republic era and the beginning of a brief period of constitutional rule and New Deal-style social democracy known as the Ten Years of Spring. In 1945, the Guatemalan people elected Juan José Arevalo, a university professor, in the country's first legitimate presidential election. Almost immediately, conservative elements within Guatemala began plotting. By the end of his four-year term, Arevalo's government survived over a dozen coup attempts. The next election saw the rise of Jacobo Arbenz, one of the hero officers of 1944. Arbenz was a radical reformer, moderate in his politics, but economically inspired by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He was nowhere near a communist, but he allowed communists to participate in political and civic life, eventually asking the leaders of the PGT, the Guatemalan Labor Party, to advise him during his presidency. The PGT was an independent communist party with no significant links to the Soviet Union, the PGT leaders were petty bourgeois and Ladino, 
practically white and a majority indigenous country. They were small in membership, but they earned respect from indigenous labor organizers by demonstrating honesty and integrity. The rural masses regarded the PGT as a partner in struggle, despite the organization's small size and demographic difference. Arben sought advice from the PGT leadership due to their exceptional understanding of the social and economic problems of Guatemala. The PGT was integral to the crafting of the agrarian reform law. The massively popular law extended labor protections and enforcement into the feudal plantations where most Guatemalans lived. It also redistributed uncultivated land, for which the owners would be compensated according to market prices. For the crime of replacing feudalism with constitutional rights in the countryside, the Guatemalan Revolution needed to be crushed. The Guatemalan right wing failed to topple Arbenz, as they had failed to topple Arevalo before him. But the United Fruit Company would spend years and millions of dollars lobbying the United States, targeting both Democrats and Republicans. President Truman authorized Operation Fortune, Eisenhower Operation Success, both tasked the CIA with regime change. The CIA recruited the incompetent Castillo Armas to lead a small invasion force. They lost every engagement with the Guatemalan army, but Arbenz's unwillingness to enact emergency measures left the revolution vulnerable. CIA-sponsored sabotage, bombings, and a hemisphere-wide disinformation campaign threw the country into chaos. Many of his civilian supporters including a young Che Guevara, appealed for weapons. The arming of militant workers had thwarted coups past, but Arbenz refused until the last minute. He instructed the military to distribute weapons, but it was far too late. His generals refused to carry out the order. It was the end of his presidency, and the end of the Ten Years of Spring. Labor organizers and communists were arrested en masse, Land was violently seized and returned to the wealthy landowners and foreign corporations. Economic chaos and political instability characterized the coup regime, prompting growing discontentment from within the Guatemalan military. It was November 13, 1960, when President Fuentes received word that the rebel uprising had begun. He contacted the Americans and accused Fidel Castro of orchestrating the rebellion in order to facilitate communist takeover of the country. On the 16th, a U.S. Navy aircraft carrier arrived off the coast of Guatemala, carrying 85 fighter bombers and 2,000 U.S. Marines, under the pretext of a supposed invasion by the Cuban army. These accusations were absurd. The only foreign invasion taking place was that of the hundreds of Cubans, Americans, and anti-communist mercenaries preparing for an armed counter-revolution in Cuba under the sponsorship of the United States. Brigade 2506 was created with one mission, invade Cuba, overthrow Fidel Castro, and restore American dominance of Cuba. Some had previously supported Castro, others had supported the Batista dictatorship, they, too, were united by a violent hatred of communists. And so they volunteered, enthusiastically, to put down the Guatemalan rebellion. From their perspective, shedding communist blood, whether Guatemalan or Cuban, was a cause worth fighting for.
Felix Rodriguez, a former Brigade 2506 fighter and CIA officer, described his participation in crushing the rebellion. We were issued weapons, then trucked to the airbase where we were to board planes that would take us to Puerto Barrios. It was incredible to watch from the hatch of our C-46 as the bombers dived, circled, and dived again to do their deadly work. One scored a direct hit on a truckload of rebel soldiers, and from our vantage point 2,000 feet away, some of us said later they could see their bodies fly. By November 17th, the rebellion against President Fuentes was over, the leaders arrested or in hiding. In the 2009 book, The Bay of Pigs, Cuba 1961, a celebratory account of Brigade 2506's history, Felix Rodriguez is portrayed as a Cuban patriot set on liberating Cuba from communists. Rodriguez would play a key role in the capture and murder of Ernesto Che Guevara in 1967. In his decades-long career, Rodriguez was responsible for anti-communist violence in Cuba, El Salvador, and Vietnam. He shared photos depicting the severed hands of Guevara to friends, a copy of which was shown to John Lee Anderson in 1997. Anderson noted that the photo was accompanied by Rodriguez's signature and a friendly note to the recipient. Accounts sympathetic to Brigade 2506 emphasized the courage and tenacity of the fighters, who would later be stranded and largely captured in the Bay of Pigs invasion. Yet the events of November 13, 1960, draw attention to an uncomfortable truth. From the very beginning, the anti-Castro movement was aligned with the most anti-democratic forces in Latin America. Their first taste of combat did not occur on the beaches of Cuba in April 1961. It occurred in the skies over Puerto Barrios, as anti-communist Cubans dropped bombs over Guatemala. They helped to crush the rebellion of November 13th. It was the opening salvo of what would become a gruesome 36-year civil war and genocide. Accounts gloss over the Guatemala episode, in part because it subverts the narrative of a Cuban revolution betrayed by Castro and illuminates the internationalism of the Latin American bourgeoisie. For all the attention given to the internationalism of the Cuban Revolution, the cross-national regional solidarity between privileged classes, often with military or paramilitary backing, preceded the militarization of the Cuban Revolution and Castro's consolidation of power. This is not to absolve the Cuban revolutionaries, Castro first and foremost of criticism but rather to provide context to understand why Latin American revolutionaries, or for that matter, revolutionaries worldwide, hardened after the 1954 coup and counter-revolution in Guatemala. Arevalo and Arbenz eschewed militancy and terror in favor of diplomacy and compromise, even when dealing with bad-faith actors, especially the United States and the Latin American upper classes, if Guatemala had actually resembled the Red Menace caricature illustrated by the CIA and bourgeois newspapers of the Americas, it might have stood a chance. Referring to false allegations that a Red Terror was occurring in Guatemala, Guevara noted, If those shootings had taken place, the government would retain the possibility of fighting back. 
Listen to the rest of the episode when it premieres in October 2022. Subscribe to the movements on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Support the show at patreon.com/movementspod.